Well, I titled the sermon, Anticipation and Sanctification. Anticipation and Sanctification. I think it's cool that the Lord ordained that we finish in 1 Peter as we start a new year, because this section especially of this book um, gives us, actually that should be chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, 11 to 18. This section of this book gives us application. It gives us opportunity to then apply now what we've been hearing over the past number of weeks. So 2 Peter chapter 3, I want to begin in verse 11, um, hope and holiness, hope and holiness. You're going to see how important it is to keep connected what we anticipate that's coming with how we live today and how it equips us and calls us to holiness. So verse 11, I actually want to start in verse 9 where uh, Pastor Alex covered last week. Listen to these verses and how they lead us to our passage today. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, Peter says, but is patient toward you. Now remember the you. The you is believers, that is God's elect, God's chosen. He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, any of you, that is, should perish, but that all of you should reach repentance. All that God has chosen in his divine counsel in eternity past, he will bring to repentance. And he is waiting because that number has yet to be met. He is each day bringing more and more to salvation. But then he says this, but the day of the Lord will indeed come. It's coming. And it's coming like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be laid bare or exposed. This is the talk of judgment that is anticipated. And in, in the midst of it, God is saying, I'm saving. So I'm securing, I'm saving, I'm bringing in. And don't, don't forget, judgment is going to fall. Fire has been stored up. And it one day will fall. How then are we to live? Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you, that is believers, God's chosen, ought you to be, but in lives of holiness and godliness? And this is as much a statement as a question. He's answering as he's asking. How are we to live? Holiness and godliness. Lives marked by these things. Since these are thus to be dissolved, that is, the heavens and the earth, they're, they're passing away. So God's wrath is coming, and he's, it's coming like a thief, which means no one's going to anticipate it. You can't, you can't see it coming. Uh, it's, it's going to fall upon the earth, and it will be fierce, and it will be destructive. And if you are walking in ungodliness and disobedience to the Lord, if you are stiff-arming his Savior, Jesus Christ, you will perish in your sins. Fire will fall, as it were. So how then should we live? That is, believers. So that's, we don't gauge how we should live based upon the world around us that is walking in disobedience. We look to the Lord. And the call then he gives is lives marked by holiness and godliness. Now this is a cool combination of words. The holiness is an expression of the godliness. So it's, in a sense, you could say it this, it's holy character and it's holy conduct. What is inside of us being renewed and transformed is to be expressed then 
in the display of what aligns with what is right and righteous and good. This takes us back to chapter 1, doesn't it? Right? Chapter 1, the call, supplement your faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. All of these things, friends, in 2024. Right? Think about this. As you go into a new year, a lot of people are having these resolutions, New Year's resolutions. Is on your list, at the top of your list, I want to grow in holiness. I want to be godly. I want to be more holy in 2024 than I was in 2023. Set that as a goal. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Now he says in verse 12, he goes on, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Now this is a fascinating verse that is oftentimes Uh, very mishandled, um, especially by well-meaning folks who are motivating people to missions work or evangelism, okay? So the question is, what does it mean to wait for? What does it mean to hasten, okay? And sometimes what happens is you have this, this, this emphasis that has an undue ownership. Just to say this out of the gate, we can't do anything to change God's timetable, He has fixed a day, and he is going to bring it to pass. So hastening in this sense doesn't mean we're going to surprise God by speeding up things, and then he's all of a sudden like, oh, wow, I can come right now already. It's not like that. That's not what Peter is talking about. Here's what I think this beautiful combination comes together, waiting for and hastening. You could say an error would be to say, well, it's all on him. We're just going to wait. Right? Sometimes you, you run into this. Sometimes in Linden you run into this. Hey, God's sovereign. We got the, we got the goods. Now let's just sit back and chill and w- wait for him to do what he's going to do. We don't have to worry about doing anything. And so often prayer and evangelism fall by the wayside. That is an error. That is not at all true. That does not mark the lives of Peter or Paul or the men who do indeed believe that God is sovereign. They are they are after it. They are going to places where the gospel has not been proclaimed. So it's wrong to say, we're just going to wait. It's all on God. It's also wrong to say, it's all on us. We must hasten his return. And so it's the idea is like, God, well, he did his part. Now you do your part. Get, get out there and evangelize, and, and get on missions, and go to the ends of the earth, because if you don't do your part, he's never going to come. And I, I got bad news for you. If it's all on us, we're dead meat, okay? We can't take on this great commission left to ourselves. That's why he said, right after he gave it, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's not all on us. We don't um, hinge the return of Christ on our engagement or activity. It's, it's not hanging upon us alone as if God just steps back and says, now make it happen. So what is it? Well, this is what I think is, is being called here by Peter to us. Patience as you wait and participation as you work. What does hastening the return include? Well, it includes our witnessing. It includes our evangelism, our shining the glory of God, both in holy conduct 
and in the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so we go, absolutely we go. Praise God for pioneer mission expressions from this little local church in places that are hard and and largely unreached. But we also wait patiently and confidently because he's going to come. He is going to come. Another way to build this out is part of the Christian life involves this, waiting, longing, anticipating his return. We groan, come Lord Jesus, come today. Oh, we long long to see you return. And working, shining, proclaiming. So we have something to do while we wait. We're not just twiddling our thumbs with nothing to do. Oh man, what a mission we have, friends. This church is a mission outpost, not a country club. There's a huge difference between that. Country club, you just come, you hang out, you have lots of fun, let's have more potlucks. We're just waiting. We got nothing to do. It's just killing time. No, that's not what we are. We are a mission outpost. We have purpose in our patience while we wait, working and shining. And in that, as we participate in what God has ordained, the means by which he will bring in his flock will bring about the day of the Lord. We participate in it. And in that sense, we hasten his return. As we walk in holiness, repent of sin, participate in proclamation, and long for his return. Now, I just want to add to this. I think it's important to say When you think about God's elect, okay, so God chose before the foundations of the earth were laid to save not just an undefined group of people. He chose individuals to save. And there's a number of individuals he chose to save before the day of the Lord will come, okay? So don't just think um, location, right? It it is location. There, There are people in places that he has chosen to save. But it's also points of time that he has chosen to save. So let's just say, let's say um, tomorrow, all of a sudden, we hear from those who are working in missions, we did it. (laughs) We did it. Every single unreached people group has been reached with the gospel. We translated all of scripture into every known language. We did it. Does that mean the end is going to come? No, no. Because what is God waiting for? Well, he's saving his chosen. He's saving every single one of those that he has chosen to save before he brings the end and his son. So this is the reality that could be the case. It could be the neighbor that lives three houses down from you who's the last one that God is going to bring in before the son returns. That's how it could be. So don't just think missions and and over there it's right here too it could be that in 2028 your neighbor across the street is the last one how do we know we don't know that's the point and so we just keep going and everybody we meet we got to tell them the good news point them to jesus and we trust the lord about when he brings in the final sheep and then he sends his son so It's a special thing to be a part of. We're not just observers. We're participants in this mission in 2024 as we think about this year. 
Now we're waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So patiently waiting and participating in the work he's assigned, knowing that the day of God, because of which, that is the day of God, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, these are pretty incredible words. There's debate about whether when the Lord brings the fire of his wrath, whether this earth is going to be kind of purified with fire and remodeled, or whether this earth and all the heavens will pass out of existence. And the more I studied, the more I'm inclined to say all of material existence will be completely dissolved, done away with. This planet and all of the stars and all of the heavens, I believe, are going to pass completely out of existence. And we, those believers, are held in that and preserved and then a new heavens and a new earth. Now note this in which righteousness dwells. Why would God create such a beautiful universe and a beautiful earth and then destroy it with fire? Why would he do it? One word, sin. That's why. Sin. Our sin. We have polluted the good and beautiful creation of God, such that it is our sin that brought about the curse even on creation. Creation today, my friends, is groaning under the curse of God, longing to be released when God brings His full restoration. So, righteousness is your destiny, Christian. There is a new world coming, new heavens and new earth, and righteousness will define it. Man, I long for that day. That We are not there yet, are we? Not, not even close. Listen to Revelation 21. This is how John, um, under prophetic inspiration, anticipates these things. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Think of these things. I mean, there's a radical change that's going to be accomplished by God in the new heavens and the new earth, such that there is no more sun. The Lord is our light. Uh, there's no night. Think of that. Now, there's no sea, and, and on and on and on. Yet there is continuity in that we will be there with glorified bodies, walking on a real planet with dirt and trees and animals, creation, all of which will be completely free from the stain of sin or unrighteousness. You can say it this way, you are not going to be bored on this new glorious earth that God has in store. Isaiah prophesied it. Peter spoke of it. John prophesied of it as well. And it's coming to pass. Just count the days, my friends. It's coming. We're closer than ever. Think of it that way. I think about how easy it is to follow the world around us. They don't believe this, right? The, the, the world around us is lost in the now, living for the moment and building a beautifully intricate sandcastle legacies. 
Don't fall for it, Christian. Don't be drawn into this kind of thinking. Everything around us is fading to fire. So don't squander your days. Look at how spectacular this castle is. This is truly a work of art. And then look at where the tide is. It is doomed. It's just a matter of time. Maybe an hour or two, and this is gone. You wouldn't even know it was there. Friends, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. That's a waste of time. Don't build earthly kingdoms of sand that will wash away. Pour yourself into that which matters. And what matters, according to this text? Righteousness, holiness, godliness, the gospel, the kingdom of Christ. That matters. It's the currency of glory. Think of that. What is the currency of glory? What is the value system of eternity? It is not the newest car, the fastest computer. It is not the biggest this or, or you know, whatever it might be. We, we live in, in such a secularized world that we have got to make decisions. Like with a wartime ethic, where are we going to place value? And how does that then inform how we live? How we think of, of, of monetary goals in 2024? How are we going to spend our time in 2024? I like how C.T. Studd said it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Think of this. There is a way today, believer, to store up, to lay up, to secure treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal it. That's the call by Peter. Don't squander your days building sandcastles. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, what are the, what's the these? It's a new heaven and a new earth. That's, that's what he's saying. Be diligent then. Be diligent. Work hard to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. My question is, how in the world are we going to do that? <laughs> I'm thinking about 2024 and, and, and I'm already very keenly aware uh, that's not a description of my life. If, I, if I'm really looking here, there's spot, there's blemish. Now, the at peace part, I, I'm, I'm a little closer at, right? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm longing for his return. I don't dread it. But how do I get there? This is what's amazing about how Second Peter ends. First John is just a, 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 across the page. Listen to how 1 John answers the question, how in the world are we to be found by him without spot or blemish? John says this, if we have fellowship with him, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. So don't lie to yourself and say you're a Christian and you care nothing for Christ and you live your life for the world. You're lying to yourself. He goes on. But if we walk in the light, that is, what? Godliness, righteousness, joyful obedience, surrender to his lordship. If we walk with him in the light as he is in the light, 
we have fellowship with one another. All of a sudden, we have this in common. We're cheering one another on. Look at the other thing. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. So you can't say, Lord Jesus, I, I, I love you and I'm looking to you, but I don't really think about my life. I'm not worried about my sin. I'm just going to live in the dark and say I love you. Well, don't lie to yourself. Love for Christ and appreciation for that for which he died and released us from is a life that says, I want righteousness. I want you. I want to obey you. I want to please you. I want to say no to sin. And I want to walk in obedience. Is it going to be a perfect walk? Far from it. But as we walk with him in the light and we confess our sins, look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Each day, friends, we breathe the gospel. Sometimes people make this mistake. They talk about the gospel as a one-time event, like way back there. Well, when I was you know, six at, at VBS, I raised my hand. Yes, amen to that. However, it's every day after that, I believe. I'm trusting him. I'm walking with him. I'm his. He's mine. I want to please him and obey him. Grow. You're not being saved every day, but you're showing that salvation each day as you grow. We breathe the air of the gospel and we grow in God's grace. So resolved. I've got three resolutions to begin our year with. Here's the first from these verses. Resolved, like Jonathan Edwards. Remember Jonathan Edwards? He had 70 resolutions to live by. Here's just three, okay? I'm trying to be a little more realistic with my resolutions. Resolved in 2024 to esteem righteousness and to pour my life into what will still matter in 100,000 years. If you're struggling to know how to decide over a purchase or this or that, just turn to your spouse and be like, is it going to matter in 100,000 years? That's like the ultimate trump card. No, I mean, we got to live, like we got to drive. Don't, you, know, don't, you don't have to like sell all your possessions or something. But I'm just saying, there is a value system that we are called to here that is so much more glorious than the material possessions that are fading or the, the, the moments and experiences that are here and gone. Live for what will matter in 100,000 years. You know what that is? Righteousness, holiness, godliness, character, the character of Christ, the glory of Christ, the kingdom of Christ. Fill that in as your aim point. Esteem and then seek to live. Now, the second section here, patience and purpose. I really enjoyed this verse 15 as, as I sat in these verses, especially patience and purpose. Listen to what he says, really in summary form. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Count the patience. Consider the patience of God as salvation. Now, this captures so much of what Alex preached last week. Every day that God waits to bring the fire down is a day that he is saving. He is saving. So I thought of two words that, that capture this groaning 
and grinning, groaning. Oh, you've been here. You've watched the news, right? You're there and you're just like, Lord, what is wrong with this? Where is the sanity? What is going on? What a mess this world is. Groaning. Come, Lord Jesus. Come put an end to evil and unrighteousness. Or in the morning, you're rehearsing back through your week. Oh, Lord, I have failed. I've sinned. I did this and that. And it's like you're in the mirror and you're just like groaning. Who will set me free from this body of corruption? Someday, oh God. No more sin. No more sin. The groan and the longing of His return. Finish the work, oh Lord. Bring glory. Bring it to pass. Sometimes we need to be reminded in the midst of this that the day that is not the return of the Lord is still the day of salvation. Even though He hasn't returned today, know this, all around the world, already today, I point to the east because as we turn, just think, think of the church that's been proclaiming all over the place, all the nations, all the tribes, all the languages. He's there. He's working. Today is a day of salvation. And just think, He waited for me to be saved. He waited to bring me in. What if, what if He would have chosen to send the day of the Lord before I was saved. I would have no hope and be cut off eternally in the fires of hell. So maybe waiting is a little more bearable when we are reminded, in fact, that God is saving. So we can groan and at the same time we can smile. We can grin. Lord, you're saving today. And use me to that end, right? Help me to shine. Help me to speak. Help me to make the most of this day because today, today is a day of salvation. If you're here and you are not a Christian, just hear me out today. Listen. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Behold, now is the favorable time. This is the day of salvation. The door is open. I cannot guarantee you that tomorrow that will be the case. Turn from your sins. Stop living in the dark. Stop wallowing around in self and sin. It's not satisfying. It will leave you hungry. Just it always promises and never delivers. Turn from this and turn to Jesus Christ. Run to Him. Trust His finished work on your behalf. Be forgiven. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't put it off. What's keeping you back? Come and be saved. So he says, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. And then he has this moment. And this is cool. This is like a, a, a moment where the Spirit of God in Peter shows this, this memory connection. And he thinks of the Apostle Paul all of a sudden. Just, it's kind of just like this sidebar. So he's writing and he says, just as our beloved brother Paul, that's the Apostle Paul, who also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of, these, uh, of them on these matters. Now, there's a bunch of cool things here uh, that are happening in this. He says this, that There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, 
as they do the other scriptures. Now, significant things. Other scriptures, Peter is saying that the letters of Paul that are arriving at the same, to the same audience that Peter is writing to, he, he's viewing as God's word, uh, scripture. That's significant. Uh, the other thing he's saying is that Paul's, Paul's saying the same thing I'm saying, basically, Peter says. So, so it's cool. He's echoing his case through the words of Paul. However, you have people who are apparently taking some of what Paul said and they're twisting it up into falsehood, which brings us right back to these false teachers that were addressed in chapter 2, right? False teaching is almost always, in some way or another, pulling out of Scripture a truth or a verse and then turning it into something really uh, toxic and poisonous. So he goes instantly to what these false teachers are doing and saying, listen, Paul is affirming what I'm saying, and you need to be warned. Don't follow these false teachers. Likely, they were taking from Galatians chapter 5, where Paul wrote, um, for freedom, you've been set free. So don't commit yourselves again to the yoke of slavery. Be free. And the false teachers were probably saying, hey, you're free. You don't have to worry about obedience to God. Don't worry about sin. You're forgiven, live however you want, and you'll be fine. There's no judgment. That's not what Paul was saying in Galatians. Apparently, these false teachers were leading people astray. This is what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, which is an echo of what Peter says here. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness uh, and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? If today he has not brought wrath, what does that mean? It means he is showing kindness. He is showing patience. He is saving today. Don't presume on this grace that he is never going to come and judge. He is coming and he will judge. So, the second resolution then is to rejoice that every day of God's patience, every day of God's patience is a day of salvation. Someone somewhere is being saved or is yet to be saved, right? And so there's work for us to do. We can groan, absolutely. Creation groans. We long for the redemption of this fallen world, the redemption, full redemption of our bodies, the completion of the work. But we also delight in the fact that God is still saving. He's still at work. Now, lastly, growing in God's grace. Verses 17 and 18. This really is the theme verse of the entire letter of uh, 2 Peter. And we see this in our section. Growing in God's grace. Verse 17. You, therefore, that's the believers, beloved, knowing this beforehand. So he's giving them a loving warning. And then he says, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people. That's helpful for us. This is the, the pattern of their lives. Just like in 2 Peter chapter 2. He's saying, listen, these people are defined by sin. Lawlessness. They care nothing about righteousness. Don't be carried away with them and lose your own stability. The call of the Christian life then is one of a defensive position. We need to stand strong stable and steadfast in the gospel. Be on our guard. Be discerning. 
Sometimes in the world, I, I, just, I was struck by this this past week. What in the world is up with the Stanley Starbucks mug? Have you seen this? The pink thing that people are lining up for? Now, if you're doing this, I'm not trying to offend you. I just need, I, like, I don't get it. I've had a Stanley uh, coffee mug pretty much as long as I've been alive. So they're, they're not new. Uh, mine was not pink, though. I'll just, I'll just tell you that. But there are people across the country who are freaking out and lining up at early hours of the morning to get uh, a, a, a Starbucks mug that's pink made by Stanley. It is easy to get caught up in a trend or a fad and to not actually stop and say, what? wait, wait, why am I doing this? In five years, will I wish I had done this? What about 100,000 years, Christian? Are you going to be like, I am so glad I gave all of that work and all of that money to purchase or buy on eBay or whatever that pink Stanley Starbucks mug? I guarantee you this. The answer is no. The same can happen with trends in church and theology and teachers and preachers. There is this this. this crowd that draws a crowd and all of a sudden your, your friends or your neighbors or your co-workers are like, oh, you've got to listen to this guy. And everybody starts following over here. Be warned. Be warned. If they play fast and loose with the Word of God, get away. Don't spend your time there. Stay true to the Word of God. Listen to teachers and preachers who unpack the Word of God faithfully. I have counted so many trends in my life. I mean, it's just amazing. Watching, this is the latest and greatest thing over here. Willow Creek is doing another curriculum. And this and that and other. And you've got to buy it and you've got to do it. And, and, and I was in a church that did every single one. And I'm just like, for real, are we going to do another one of these? And then this trend took place. And then this trend. And then, you know what? They're gone. They're all gone already. And I'm only 47. You know what still remains? The Word of God. Stay true to the Word. Strong, stable, steadfast in the Gospel. The Christian life is one of defense, but it's also one of offense. So you need a shield in the armor of God. You need to protect yourself against false teaching. You need to stand firm, but you also need a sword. And you play offense in the Christian life, which is why Peter goes on to say this, but grow. So don't do this. Do this. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is beautiful language. However, I ask the question, what does that mean? What does it mean to grow in grace? Well, start with the question, what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It's the unmerited favor of God that is set upon undeserving people like you and me. Where do you first taste of this? The moment you're saved. When God reaches down and makes those dry bones live in your soul. It gives you life, shows you the face of Christ, stirs in your heart a new longing to repent and believe, and you are saved. You experienced the grace of God the day he saved you. But it didn't stop there. You continue each day to experience His grace. Each day, His kindness, right? His mercy is new every morning. 
Greater is your faithfulness. To grow in his grace, then, I would suggest is two things. Number one, it's context. The context of the Christian life is grace. It's grace. I am saved by grace. I am sanctified through and through by grace as I participate in his strength such that at the end of my life I say, to him be all the glory. It's the context. It's the air that we breathe. It's grace. How does it come to us? Through Jesus Christ. It meets us through Jesus Christ the Son. It is also the content, and this is why it's connected. The the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So if you're going to grow in grace, here is one thing inseparable from your Christian growth. Christ, your Lord, your Savior. Knowing Him and growing to appreciate Him. If you want to grow as a Christian... If you want that tree that starts small and has the strength of God in its roots, if you want that tree to grow into full bloom, Jesus Christ is the focal point of that growth. Each day, to know Him, to love Him, to obey Him, to serve Him, to be in awe of Him. The grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a Christ-centered pursuit. We don't just want to know more things. We want to know Him as we learn. We want to know Him and love Him and treasure Him. So, friends, as you think about reading your Bible in 2024, just an encouragement. If, as you think about these memory verse cards that we have available for you, which, by the way, they're perforated this time. Oh, my word. My type A thing was just loving this. this the OCD was getting just... They line up so perfectly. You can rubber band them or you can hole punch them. Get a a set of those verses. Read the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Believe it. Trust Him, the God of His Word. Meditate on His Word in 2024. Sit in it. It's amazing what happens when you take a verse and you just sit there and emphasize a different word each time you read. Work your way through it and just be in awe of how Scripture lives. Memorize it, absolutely. Rehearse it. Gracie was telling me uh, the youth group worked last year on memorizing 1 Peter chapter 1, and she reviewed it, rehearsed it uh, yesterday, and she's like, I still got it. I remember it. It's there. It's hidden away in my heart. Discover new verses. This is one encouragement. We just restocked these for your personal Bible study. We've got these little cards where you can track along and write the date when you studied a book, re- you know, reading through the Bible. Uh, and then what you can do is be like, oh, I need to go to 2 Kings. I haven't been in 2 Kings for a while, right? So you can find places where you haven't been and you can discover new glories and wonderful truth of God. As you discover delight, then recall, then wield. Remember, it's the sword of the Spirit. When you are tempted and you have Scripture to bring to bear, you can stand firm on the truth of God's Word. And then pray His Word. One encouragement, don't just read the Word of God in 2024 to complete an assignment. That will bring very little fruit in your life. That's one of the things. Reading plans are great, but only to the extent that they push you to worship. If they are not contributing to your worship of Christ, 
your love of God, then find a different way to read and dig and study. So read and relate. Discover and delight. This is an opportunity that we have. Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then what better way to finish a book, right? This is it. This is how so many books finish. This is what he says. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. That includes new heavens, new earth. Who is the epicenter of the glory? Jesus Christ forever. The focal point of our joy. And then he says, amen. So be it. Let it be. And we add our amen to Peter's amen. We live our lives, my friends, soli deo gloria, such that at the end of our lives, we look back over every moment of our lives and we say, to you alone be the glory. You saved me. You kept me. You sanctified me. You brought me all the way home. And now I stand perfected someday, I will say this, perfected in righteousness because of you, O God. To you be all the glory. Great things he has done. So, our third resolution today, as we anticipate this next year, resolved to behold the glory of Jesus Christ each day and to grow in his grace for his glory. To behold the glory of Jesus Christ each day and then to grow in that grace. To grow in that grace for his glory. A response this morning, I want to circle back to the, the sermon title and just say there are, there are folks that I've talked to over the years who say, you know, I don't want to really worry about the end time stuff. That doesn't really matter to me because I need to figure out how to live today. And, and, and I would say that is the worst decision because what is coming has everything to do with how you live today. What, what you decide about what is coming shapes the way you live today. It changes what you value. It changes what you live for. Anticipation is inseparable from sanctification. He's coming. He's coming again. And may we be found in him, faithful to the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us that you delayed the day of the Lord such that we would be here and alive by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us in this kind patience, forbearance. You have shown great love to us and Lord, we groan for your return, but we also smile that this is indeed a day of your salvation. Thank you for the work you've done today already to save all around this planet. We pray even now in this room that you would save, that you would open blinded eyes, stir dead hearts to live, to see Christ, to turn from sin and to run in faith to him as Savior and Lord. Do, O oh Lord, what we can't do. Save to the utmost. Help us, Father, to grow in this grace that we have tasted. Help us to walk in holiness more so this year than last year. May there be less 
frequent sin in our lives and more joyous, righteous, God-glorifying fruit that we could hold out for your joy, your accomplishment in our life. And Lord, use us as we seek to be faithful to fulfill the mission you have assigned. We need you in this work. Bring it to pass, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.